Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday, happy hump day. We're halfway through the week. We have a fantastic show planned for you today. It's going to be me, you, and the Walker brothers. Not the Walker brothers, but you know, Anthony Walker, Pastor Anthony Walker, Virgil Walker going to join us. I have an incredibly uh, provocative fire starter that we will start with. Uh, Anthony and Virgil, maybe 30 minutes from now, 45 minutes from now, they'll join me in discussing my fire starter about Tucker Carlson and free speech. And gonna try to unpack a lot. I want you to buckle up. Some of you may be offended, particularly if you're a bit of a feminist. Uh, some of you may misinterpret, misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm asking you to trust me along this process as I unpack today's Firestarter and the significance of what Tucker Carlson uh, announced yesterday. I'm going to go uh, some directions you may not be expecting, but stick with me. It'll be well worth it. Anthony and Virgil and I will talk about it at some point, 30, 45 minutes from now. Uh, Anthony and I will talk about the movie Big George Foreman, and then we'll all be dismissed to get on with the rest of our Wednesday. Uh, but let's get this fire and party started uh, right off the bat here. Uh, women <clears throat> don't take bullets. It's not their role. It's not their job. It's not in their nature. Sane societies send men into war to die. It's biblical. Jesus Christ. A man sacrificed his life for all of humanity. The sacrifice of man's life is practical, too. We can be replaced. One man and many women can birth a nation. One woman and many men will provoke a homicidal genocide among frustrated and angry men. A woman's womb is far more valuable than a man's penis. The virgin birth of Jesus proves my point. Women are designed to be protected, shielded from dangerous conflict. The collapse of American society is directly linked to our decision to move women in mass to the front lines, to place them in harm's way, to treat them as men. They won't take the bullets that go along with leadership. It's not because they're mentally weak, it's because the creator constructed them for a different purpose, a task arguably far more important. God created women to protect and nurture what grows inside their wombs, not rights, freedoms, and order. In the book of Genesis, 
God gave man dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The American culture war is a battle over dominion. The combatants are man and woman, believers and non-believers. The stakes are enormous. The outcome will determine the fate of our most fundamental freedom, free speech. Without it, we will lose our right to worship God freely and publicly. As is the case in Canada and Europe, the words written in the Bible will be classified as hate speech, punishable in criminal and civil court. Free speech is an issue worth dying for. I say all that to make my point about Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson grabbed a musket and enlisted in the free speech war. He joined the rebel army, the Confederates fighting the globalists, elites, progressives, establishment media, and politicians who believe free speech inhibits American advancement. Carlson announced he would relaunch his successful talk show on Twitter. Carlson took a bullet. He declared war on one of the most powerful people on the planet, Rupert Murdoch, and one of the most powerful establishment media corporations on the planet, Fox News. In conjunction with his announcement, Carlson's attorney accused Fox News of fraud and contract breachment over the network's surprise dismissal of Carlson two weeks ago. In a three-minute video posted to Twitter, Carlson said he planned to broadcast his show on Twitter because it's the lone consequential platform that allows free speech. Let's watch the video together. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, 
where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. That was Tucker Carlson yesterday. And, and just keep in mind those of you that have followed me for a long time. Let's go back six, seven, eight years if you followed me just that long. What I've been saying about Twitter for six, seven, eight years and its importance as the town square, as the uh, moderator of free speech, as the moderator of narratives, I can't believe that I'm here today now defending Twitter, but that's where I am. That's what Elon Musk has wrought. That, and that's why Tucker Carlson is taking his show, act, his pursuit of truth to Twitter. It's our last hope. Fox News paid Carlson $20 million a year to host a primetime one-hour show. He probably could have commanded $50 million a year had he played along with the uniparty hoax being run by establishment Democrats and Republicans and corporate media. Instead, he's sacrificing his very lucrative career and reputation to speak freely and truthfully. He's taking a bullet. It's what men are supposed to do. It's what Alex Jones has done for the last 30 years. Jones has been ridiculed as a liar and fraud throughout his career. He raised valid questions about the events on 9-11. The government has yet to give a logical explanation for the collapse of Building 7. Alex Jones celebrated Carlson's courage and what it could mean in the culture war. Let's watch together. Tucker Carlson's move today to Twitter with Elon Musk is way bigger than Tucker Carlson. It's about the death of cable media. It's about the death of the establishment. It's about the death of the intelligence agencies and the censorship and the surveillance. Tucker has 25, 30 million views on the videos he now puts out on Twitter. Five, six times what he had on Fox News. The dinosaurs that fired him miscalculated. And I told you two weeks ago, he's not going with some new big outlet. He's going to be independent. I had that obviously directly from Tucker Carlson's camp. And now we're here. So their attempts to silence me and to silence you have now backfired. And Tucker Carlson, as the archetypal populist promoting liberty and freedom and peace and prosperity, has been targeted by the system and their attempts to silence him have failed. And that just illustrates there's not just evil in the universe, there's good as well. And so I am so excited about what Tucker's doing. He can now broadcast from his house in Maine. He can broadcast from his house in Florida. He can now directly reach out to people and cover things that Fox was suppressing. Sure, his contract said he had total freedom. He took a pay cut of two thirds to tell the truth, but they still try to control him. 
Tucker knew he was going to be fired. I predicted it back in March. And now it's here. He didn't sell out. I didn't sell out. You didn't sell out. We're not selling out. Our freedoms, our liberty, our ideas of what we stand for are not for sale. And that's why what Tucker Carlson's done is so beautiful. That's why what you've done is so beautiful. People want freedom. That's why InfoWars is still on the air in many ways stronger than ever, only because of your support and your word of mouth. Tucker's stronger than ever because of you. We're going to win this, folks. Listen, Tucker's just the tip of the iceberg. Elon Musk has gotten on board with Liberty because he knows which way the wind is blowing. The globalists are not invincible. In fact, they're very easy to beat if we simply wake up and support freedom and stand up for basic human liberties and the basic concepts that have made society so successful. I love America, and I love you. We're going to win. America is not tyranny. America is the example of liberty, and we will win together. God bless Tucker Carlson, and God bless you all. So I am nearly as hopeful as Alex Jones. We're, we're, I'm starting to see us reach this long overdue age of enlightenment. It's been 32 years since Oliver Stone released the movie JFK, a film that pointed to a CIA plot to kill President Kennedy. Corporate media blasted Stone as a conspiracy theorist. It's the same smear that has been leveled at Jones and Carlson. Jones, Carlson, and Stone are men who sacrifice their reputations to tell the truth. Elon Musk is another wealthy and powerful man taking a bullet to protect free speech. The billionaire founder of Tesla's decision to acquire Twitter and reconfigure it to allow free speech has made him an enemy of the establishment and it's made him polarizing. The responsibility of dominion requires the ultimate self-sacrifice. I'm inspired because I'm seeing wealthy, powerful men sacrifice their reputations in protection of of free speech. That's what, when God gave man the responsibility of dominion over everything that creepeth on the earth, this is what he was talking about. Men protecting order. Women, they're not wired for the kind of sacrifice that men are. They have a different calling. They're responsible for the replenishment of earth and life. They sacrifice for the protection of children, not for the maintenance of an orderly society. Women suffer when their children experience discomfort. That's why the protection of feelings is so important to them. As women exercise more and more dominion over American society, we have prioritized the protection of feelings above truth and order. If a boy or man feels like a girl, the matriarchy affirms that feeling with little concern about truth or societal order. The priority is avoiding hurt feelings. That's how a society ends up with batting balls men sharing a bathroom with and or competing against women. Feelings disrupt order and truth. America has eliminated tolerance for rebuke. It's too painful. We've twisted scripture to justify the elimination of judgment. Atheists, atheists 
Love quoting the Bible, Matthew 7 and 1. Judge not lest ye be judged. They avoid dozens of scriptures where Jesus and the disciples directly command us to judge unrighteous behavior. They avoid context and a full understanding of the word. Man needs to be rebuked and judged by other men standing on the word of God. My gluttony should be rebuked. Behavior that contradicts God's instructions should be called out and admonished, including sexual promiscuity, guilty, and homosexuality, not guilty. Man and woman are outside the roles designed for us. We've created a society where we affirm everything that kills us out of fear that we might hurt someone's feelings. This new standard has empowered sin and the sinful. Twitter, you've heard me complain for years, has been the LGBTQ plus heaven. It has served as the muscle for the alphabet mafia. Anyone who stood on biblical values and refused to affirm transgenderism and homosexuality faced reputation assassination. The transgender crowd sees opposition to puberty blockers and gender mutilation as issues worth dying for. Men who want to be women will take and deliver a bullet. It's in their nature. Women who want to be men will take and deliver a bullet. They're that desperate to prove their manhood. It's time for real men to return to their nature and prove their manhood. Tucker Carlson just did it. He should be a role model to all of us. That is the scripted part of my mono. I'm about to get a bit more passionate and a bit more perhaps even angry as I move in to some other layers of this argument that I'm making today. Buckle up. I want to take care of one of our new partners before I get passionate and emotional and perhaps lose my mind and forget that, hey, I got to take care of one of our new partners that I'm very excited about. And so I want to tell you, because this, this new partner has great synergy in everything that I'm talking about today. It's called Ramp Financial Software. And, and Ramp is a way for those of us that are men that want to take care of our small and or big businesses. But, but for me, Ramp is a great tool and vehicle for me to grow my very small business that just has two or three employees and myself. Ramp takes care of all of your business needs, your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting. If you've been looking or a complete game changer to help you grow your business. Ramp is the corporate card and expense management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives financial teams unprecedented control and insight into, into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and an automated system of expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. 
Ramp really saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 3.5% the first year. Those of you that are business owners, those of you that are small business owners, you know how important that 3.5% savings can be. People that don't run businesses may laugh and think nothing of it. People that will be broke soon will laugh and think nothing of it. But those of you that are wise business people and businessmen, you know how important that is. You can get started. It's easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, <laughs> this is the best part. This almost sounds too good to be true. Ramp is going to give you $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash fearless. Use my promo code ramp.com slash fearless. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash fearless. They're going to give you $250. Gentlemen, audience, ladies, I'm using this service myself. I want Ramp to help me grow my business. I, I need that independence. I need to be more financially sound with how I operate my business. Ramp is going to help me do that. It's going to help me further. I've already untied myself to corporate America, but we all need to be our own little businesses and run our businesses properly so that we can stand on our own two feet and we can stand on our values and not have to reflect the values of these corporations that change with the blow, with the blow of the wind. When, when, the, when society gets woke, corporations get woke. That's why you need your own business. That's why I have my own business. That's why I'm partnering with Ramp. This is a service. I just signed up for it today. My assistant right now is in there signing me up for Ramp as I read these words. Join me on that journey. Let's improve our business. Let's get some financial stability. Let's get some more independence so we can continue to stand on our biblical values. I want to go back now to my fire starter and, and expound on, on this. And I want to, there, there, I know I have uh, female audience members and followers of the Fearless Army and, 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 and many of them get exactly where I'm coming from. Some of them don't. For, for those of you that don't, I, I just want you to look out at the chaos that we have invited into America because we're bending over backwards, protecting people's feelings. We can no longer say what we want to say in this country because, oh my God, people get to put on this performance over social media or in their work environment. Oh, I'm so mortally wounded. Oh my God, you must fire this person. They said something that caused me a moment's discomfort. I, I, I wanna give you a very controversial example of what I'm talking about. And, 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 and I hope that people stick with me and follow what I'm saying, but to some degree, I'm doing it. The show's called Fearless. You listen to the show. I say all kinds of things I'm not supposed to say. This will just be added to it. Bob Huggins, in the news cycle today and yesterday, head coach at the University of West Virginia. Bob Huggins, uh, 
doing a radio interview with some friends of his. He, he, he uses, he drops the F word, F-A-G. He drops that word. That word has become uh, the LGBTQ's version of the N word. There is an incredible difference between those two words, the N word and the F word. But because we've moved into this world of make-believe and of feelings, we can't even have a discussion about the difference in those two words because we've moved so far away from truth. I'm not justifying the F word. I'm just speaking facts about the F word. The F word is used primarily because people disapprove of the behavior of two men or two women engaging in sex. Where did that disapproval come from? It came from the Bible and a Christian worldview. That's what the F word in its essence represents, a disagreement, a disapproval of behavior. They've rigged up a system now a system based on feelings where biblical values and disapproval and rebuke of things that are in objection to biblical values are now illegal because they hurt someone's feeling. The N word is not about behavior. It's a slur and an insult about skin color primarily. Skin color is not a behavior. It's something you're born with. It's a condition, whether you're white, black, brown, yellow, whatever. It, it's, it's objection to a condition, a skin color. And I don't use the word condition as a pejorative because it doesn't matter what color you are, your skin color I'm framing as a condition, something you had no control over. It's not a behavior. And so the reason why people don't like the word is like, man, you're criticizing me and denigrating me based on uh, something I had no control over and something that's irrelevant. Homosexuality, like my gluttony, is a behavior that we should be able to object to. And so this whole thing that's going, I'm not defending Bob Huggins, he should have known better, you know, in this time in 2023, but people are talking about firing Bob Huggins. There's a report that he's gonna be fined a million dollars and suspended. All because awkwardly, abrasively, disrespectfully, he expressed his disapproval of a behavior that the Bible has defined as abhorrent. And somehow, as we move further and further into this matriarchal culture, as we move further and further into prioritizing feelings and not hurting anyone's feelings, you, what they've done is 
put limits on your ability to rebuke behavior that the Bible has deemed as inappropriate. That's why they have this whole fat shaming BS going on. Fat people, including myself, should be ashamed of their fatness. God does not want us to defile our bodies, our temples with gluttony and fatness and excess cellulite. As a fat person, when someone cracks a fat joke on me, even when I was young, I didn't like it, but I sure as hell wasn't, oh God, they shouldn't be able to say that about me. Oh, someone should lose their job or oh, they got to issue an apology because they called out my fatness and my gluttony. But we're setting up a world where women have dominion. And their rules trump our rules and what God wanted. I'm not calling women wicked. I'm calling them out of their roles. We can't set up a society where women have dominion and we have to play by their set of rules because if we do, this is what we're going to produce, a society and a culture that cannot stand on biblical values and principles. It's illegal now to say homosexuality is a sin. Oh my God, how dare you? You can't have a leadership position within this company. You, you, you have to be deemed a person that is evil and wicked because you stand on the Bible. That's what the matriarchy is doing. That is what's moving all of these women into spaces that had been reserved for men has done. I don't care if you don't like me. These are the facts and we're looking at the consequences. If you want to know why drag queens are at your kid's library, it's because women rule the school systems, the culture. Oh my God, we don't want to tell a man who's dressed like a woman that we don't want him around our kids. That might hurt his feelings. This is crazy. This is nonsense. This is women outside of their role and this is men that are tolerating it. And so when I see a Tucker Carlson, an Elon Musk, an Alex Jones stand up and be willing to take some bullets, I look at myself in the mirror and say, what bullets am I willing to take? What sacrifices am I willing to take so that we can protect these biblical values that have served all of us? And if that means that there's a group of women that think I'm a pariah, 
if there's a group of cuck, soft men who think I'm a pariah, I'm willing to live and deal with that. If that costs me millions of dollars, I'm willing to live and deal with that. That's what men are supposed to do. We're supposed to take bullets. It's in our nature. It's the responsibility we were handed by God. Women are not supposed to take bullets. It's not in their nature. They won't do it. They will compromise at every turn to avoid a bullet. And yes, I'm speaking in generalities. There do seem to be a handful of women that's willing to stand on it and deal with the consequences. But the history of the world, what the Bible has shown us and what history has shown us, the people best equipped and most willing to take that bullet are men. What, what does Roy say? He quotes somebody that, you know, the only freedom you're going to get is the freedom you're willing to die for. And so you're looking at the LGBTQ transgender crowd, the alphabet mafia. They're willing to die. They're willing to suffer real consequences. What, what about you? I think about another man that is showing a pair. And, and this is where my hope, I'm hoping some of what I'm talking about comes off as hopeful. Because I'm starting to see signs of like, oh, man, we got some real men out here. Stepping up. Robert Kennedy Jr. This man is stepping up. He's running for the Democratic nomination for president. And he's not biting his tongue. He's calling out everybody and everything. Hats off to the man. This man's father and uncle, both assassinated for running for president, one for winning the presidency and the other for running for the presidency, assassinated, likely by our government or the CIA. And this man is stepping up and running and saying things and standing on some truths that are very uncomfortable and might cost him his life. Here's Robert Kennedy, RFK, talking about the CIA this week. And very, very early on, Alan Dulles essentially you know, corrupted the purpose of it by, by getting the CIA involved in you know, assassinations and fixing elections. And the CIA has been involved now in fixing about it in in coup d'etats or attempted coup d'etats in about a third of the countries in the world, most of them democracy. So our national policy as a country is to promote democracy. The CIA's policy has been the opposite, and it has been at odds with the United States. So, and I think part of that, my father recognized this too. His plan 
was to reorganize the CIA along those lines to separate the espionage and the analysis and information gathering functions um, from the, you know, the black functions, because otherwise the, func- the, the, the espionage section sees its job as justifying all of these, uh, you know, these nefarious uh, activities that are involved, and then there's no accountability. So there's never any accountability, and they do, you know, they, you overthrow a government in Iraq, and what happens? You create ISIS. You then get involved in Syria from ISIS, and you drive two million uh, civilians or two million refugees into Europe, which destabilizes democracy all over Europe and basically causes Brexit. And that is the, you know, that's the outcome of a of a, what the CIA considers a successful operation to depose Saddam Hussein. Is it really successful? I don't think so. And and unfortunately, you know, we we have a sixty year war with Iraq, and that war began when the CIA overthrew the first democratically elected government in the six thousand year history of Persia, and. We are still living with a blowback from that operation. And, and there's no, no accountability, and these agencies need to be accountable, and I would break up the CIA in a way that would make them accountable. So, and hats off to him. Hats off to him. His dad tried to take on J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. And his dad ended up dead in 1968. His his uncle tried to take on uh, the military-industrial complex. Ended up dead in 1963. Here this man is calling out the CIA, running for president, telling them that he would break up the CIA. He knows exactly the risk that he's taking exactly the risk he's taking. It's a major risk. He's willing to take a bullet. We are in a time right now where if we as men don't stand up and answer the shouts of women that have been going on for 60 years, what do they start saying? I am woman, hear me roar. If we as men don't stand up and say, damn it, I'm a man, and this is how it's going to be, we're going to lose this country into a further, into a demonic hellhole. Now you can play nice to keep the peace at home and make sure that you get to that sweet spot once a month or on your birthday or whatever. You can be a simp if you want to. But we are living in a demonic hellhole where they are sexualizing kids, taking them to drag friendly or child friendly drag shows. We're butchering and mutilating Confused kids who we are intentionally confusing with cartoons and everything else 
to sexually confuse them, and then we run in with a scalpel and start cutting breasts and penises off because Disney has confused your children about their sexuality. And you just want to sit back and do nothing? And talk about equity and how we must empower women? This thing is completely out of control. It's time for men to stand up and say, you know what, I'll take a bullet rather than deal with this demonic garbage. And so I look at Tucker Carlson and the, the financial risk he's taking, the reputation risk he's taking, the CIA, the surveillance agencies, up his rear end, looking to destroy him. I look at what they've done to Alex Jones, what they've done to the Kennedys and may do to this next Kennedy. And just as a man, I I got to ante up. I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines and watch other men be more manly than me. Get your affairs in order. I'm going to circle back, and I apologize, but I'm going to circle back to this ramp thing. Our new sponsor. Get your affairs in order. Get your businesses in order so you can stand on your own two feet and not have to answer to these demonic corporations that are giving you your values that are in complete objection to the truth and to what's best. And to God, I'm speaking, many of you, if you don't believe in God, do you really want to see your children sexualized, your grandchildren sexualized in this way, exploited? Because you won't stand up to this matriarchal BS that is going on unabated? I'm going to make one last point. Everybody's in the sports world has been talking about this Matt Ariza, the San Diego State punter. And, and we talked about this yesterday with Steve Kim, but I didn't get to go all the way where I wanted to go, or maybe I just want to circle back to the point. But this matriarchal BS that we've been dealing with, nearly destroyed this young man's life. Ran him out of the NFL, matched the uh, NFL punter or the Buffalo Bill draft pick from last year, played football at San Diego State, falsely accused of rape while a player at San Diego State University. Uh, Police prosecutors expose all the evidence that proves this man wasn't there when this woman says she was raped that this man an hour before had consensual sex with her at her insistence before her claims of rape. No one raped her. She falsely accused those other men. They have it on videotape. Her enjoying and consenting to the sex on cell phone videos. It was all hot garbage. But because we've allowed these feminist, satanic, 
women to to command and take over our culture, we moved into this BS of believe all women. What kind of a simp would believe all women? What kind of an idiot would believe all women? The same woman that will stand in front of you 50 pounds overweight in a dress two sizes too small and say, do I look fat in this dress? I'm supposed to believe her. It's in her nature to play with the truth. That's who she is. And I'm not saying that to to demonize and belittle her. But the truth hurts and she doesn't like pain. And I don't blame her. She was made that way. Her error is in trying to take over this world and trying to supplant men. I don't want to change her nature. I want her to fall in line and play her role, play her position. And I'll play mine. And that's why I'm cleaning up the toxic, sinful Jason Whitlock so I can play my role. I know I've been in error and you've been in error too. cop to it and then demand that she play her role and you play hers and she play hers. It starts with us playing our role, though, be men. And the only way to uh, demand accountability, responsibility, and proper role playing is if we fall in line and play our proper roles. But this whole matter razor thing is all a reflection of this female dominated culture. Believe all women. Women wouldn't lie. They wouldn't fudge the truth. They wouldn't make up a story to, to, to protect their reputation. Yes, they would. That's how they're built. That's how they're constructed. That's how they're wired. And that's again what I'm talking about, taking a bullet. We're looking at a woman at the San Diego State situation, a young girl and her family, in order to protect her reputation, she's willing to send men to prison to protect her reputation. So she won't have to deal with the fact that she's a slut and a whore. She'll send Matt Areza to the unemployment line, destroy his reputation, try to send other men to prison based on a lie to protect her reputation. She won't take a bullet. It's not her nature. It hurts too much. You think I enjoy the things that have been written and said about me? Anytime I stand on any of these biblical values, I got some clown over social media or some clown in the blogosphere or some clown at the at some newspaper or some media outlet trashing me. I don't enjoy it, but I'll deal with it. Because those are the bullets I'm supposed to take for standing on the truth. And I'm looking at other men 
willing to stand on that truth and take those bullets. And I'm hoping some of these cowards that are hiding under desks, the people at the Buffalo Bills that knew that this boy, Matt Eraser, was innocent. They didn't have the courage to stand on it and defend him because we've created a culture where people don't stand on nothing. They don't take any risks. They don't take any bullets to stand on truth. They're not supported. We've got a very feminized, cowardly culture. We would rather see others dead than cop to our failures. It's a female society and men are acting just like women. The slightest bit of criticism and men fall completely apart. Anybody rebuke their behavior, they fall completely apart. Come back, <clears throat> bring Anthony and Virgil into this conversation, talk about the importance of free speech. Tucker Carlson nailed it. You cannot have a democracy. You can't have an orderly society without free speech. This is not a joke, this time that we're living in. And, and it's sad to think that Twitter's the only platform out there, the only large platform out there where you can stand on truth. And, and I'm looking at people that, they don't wanna cough up $8 to Elon Musk out of some, you know, who knows what cheapness, stupidity, uh, jealousy. I, I don't know, but they, they wanna cough up $8 to Elon Musk. And, and I, don't, I don't think Elon Musk is perfect. I don't think Tucker Carlson is perfect. I don't think Alex Jones, I don't think Donald Trump, there are no perfect men. There never have been except for one. They've all been flawed. But in their nature, there's a point they will reach where they will draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going this far. And to see a handful of them stand up, particularly those with some wealth and influence, to stand up. Because all these other cowards, the NFL owners, NBA owners, they don't have a pair. They're not standing on anything. They're doing anything to protect their bottom line. Elon Musk spent $44 billion on a garbage company that was run basically by the CIA and the FBI. It was a propaganda psyop. Wasn't a money-making venture. The guy... And look, I don't think the dude is perfect. I don't know. I don't I don't know all of his beliefs, but I'm not looking for a perfect person. I'm looking for people that are doing things to protect free speech so that I have the right to publicly worship and express my biblical values. And that's what this man has done by buying Twitter. And I'm looking at Tucker Carlson growing his faith and understanding and I'm looking at him walk away from easy money. 
easy money and take the hard route and deal with the smears and the lies that are coming his way. Look at it. Alex Jones. They find this man a billion dollars for making a mistake about Sandy Hook. And oh my God, and, and just think of it. This is this cowardly feminist society that we built. They done gave people a billion dollars and damn it, I know they were hurt by the loss of their children. But feelings are worth a billion dollars? Let's cut it out. Finding Alex Jones for saying Sandy Hook was a hoax or a psyop, that ain't bringing nobody's baby back. That's not changing anything. That's penalizing this man a billion dollars because he may have slightly hurt someone's feelings. You know how many ridiculous, stupid things people have said to me about my cousin that was killed by the police? I don't need no money for that. I need a better relationship with God. And so I, I don't want to demonize the Sandy Hook people, but a billion dollars, that was a message. They, they're trying to silence Alex Jones. This has nothing to do with Sandy Hook. It has to do with silencing Alex Jones because he has pointed out so much of the wickedness that they have concealed and questioned so many things that need to be questioned. You got a damn building falling on 9-11 that was never hit by a plane and we've never been given an explanation for it. And so this man started shouting, it's an inside job. Well, damn it, based on the way the government behaved and their lack of explanation, it sure looks like an inside job. Tucker Carlson went on TV and, and recent, in the past year and talked about how the CIA killed John Kennedy. And <laughs> free speech, it's far more important than people realize. And those of you that pretend to have Christian values. If you don't understand that censorship and the elimination of free speech is just a tool to further separate us from God. If you don't understand that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when she's on TV talking about they need to shut Tucker Carlson down and promoting censorship. That's fascism. That's demonic. That's evil. That's someone with something to hide. That's a woman out of her role. Anthony Walker and Virgil Net. It's my obligation or hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, welcome back. Time for some Tennessee Harmony. Uh, man, the conversation's hot, but I think uh, Anthony and Virgil can help smooth out my rough edges on this conversation as we like to do on Wednesdays. And if you get us rolling with a prayer. Father God, we're thankful for your word, how uh, it changes and transforms our lives uh, by the renewing of our mind in your word. Father, help us in our sinful condition. Help us to be more like Christ Jesus. We're thankful in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Guys, I've just been arguing the importance of free speech and the importance of it as it relates to being able to profess our Christian values uh, publicly and freely. I I feel like uh, this whole censorship movement and limitations on free speech is really an attack on God and that we could end up in the same place as, you know, Europe and Canada where, you know, reading from the Bible uh, can and will be used against you in a court of law. Uh, what does the, Anthony, we'll start with you and Virgil, you follow in, but what do, does the Bible talk about the importance of free speech? The concept, as I read it, the concept of freedom of speech is not a biblical concept in and of itself, uh, but God always tells us how to speak. Uh, he tells us to speak of the oracles of the word of God. He teaches us to speak the truth in love, Ephesians chapter four. Um, If there's any censorship on what we should say, that comes from the Holy Spirit and God. But but to to profess the truth, to speak the truth, to teach the truth, uh, Mm -hmm. everybody has the obligation uh, to be truthful and to proclaim it. So if there's an outside entity that wants to keep somebody from telling the truth, certainly that is not of God. Virgil. Yeah, I, I would just add to 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 what uh, Anthony said. He's spot on that that in the context that we think of the freedom of speech uh, as it relates to our constitutional freedoms uh, that, that are protected. Uh, scripture doesn't really doesn't really address that doesn't prohibit, doesn't promote that idea. Uh, but what it does speak of, and, and that's exactly what Anthony laid out, is just the, the principal idea that we as believers in God have an obligation uh, to speak the truth. He mentions uh, Ephesians speaking the truth uh, in love. Uh, we have a responsibility to speak the truth with gentleness and respect. Uh, but we are but we're constantly being informed and instructed to speak the truth. We have an, uh, our, our entire Bible is filled with examples of what of the price that we should be willing to pay, even when there's great penalty for speaking the truth. We've we've got the the, the prophets of old. I, I thought immediately when when uh, as I listened to your monologues, uh, your monologue uh, is I really thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. Uh, you know, here here they are, uh, the Hebrew boys are being told how they should function, what they should do, much like the the alphabet mafia. We're to bow the knee to what the new gender that's out. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. 
They did not bow the knee to that. Now, they, they, they were willing to pay the price for that. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and following, they said, even if our God, they, 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 they told the king, even if our God did not save us from the furnace, we still will not serve you. We still will not bow the knee. And that's what you've been talking about, Jason. You've been talking about it, folks who are willing to stand up and not bow the knee. You know, of course, in the black church, this was always Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. So you, you got to figure out which place yeah. you heard the, <laughs> the Hebrew boys from. But, uh, but, but yeah, we have a responsibility to stand. And then in the New Testament, uh, we see the same example of, of the apostles uh, early on uh, in, in, uh, in the, uh, the life of the history of the church, Acts chapter 5, uh, where you have the apostles who are, who are taken in you know, by religious leaders and told that they can, they can no longer preach this name, that the name of Jesus has, has, has gone out throughout the land and is causing much disruption. And they were being told that they could not do this anymore. And they, they said, we, you, you, you'll decide whether we should serve you or serve God. But, but the name of Jesus uh, and the proclamation of the truth of, of his, his, his life, his death, his burial and resurrection will continue to proclaim. Uh, and they did so willing to be beaten. And again, I think, I think ultimately, as, as I listened to you unpack uh, this particular subject, uh, it really boils down to this, whether, whether freedoms uh, are given to us uh, from government or not, we recognize our inalienable right to speak the truth. And what we're calling for in this time are people who are willing to take a stand regardless of the price that it's going to cost them in an effort to stand up for truth. Now, scripture is littered with these kinds of examples. Church history is filled with martyrs, people who were willing to give of their very lives uh, to, to shed their blood in an effort to proclaim that which is true. And so I, I, I agree, we have an obligation to do just that. So in researching this morning, as you know, I prepared for today's show, uh, one of the, and I mentioned it in, in my mono, like everybody loves to quote Matthew seven and one. And, and so in just doing research, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at other people's interpretation of Matthew seven and one and just like, hey, they, they hop on this, judge not lest ye be judged, but they don't have the full context of what is being expressed there. And I want to connect it to what, what you just said, uh, Virgil, about, hey, we're to speak freely and truthfully in gentleness and love. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where some of the debate comes in, too, in terms of are you unpacking this in a way that doesn't hurt someone's feelings and they don't hear you? But, right. but first, let's just deal with Matthew 7 and 1 and the larger context that perhaps people are missing. So in order to deal with that uh, verse, we have to understand what judge means. Uh, biblically, there are, especially in the New Testament, there are primarily three different words used for the word judge. There is condemn, there is a gauge, and there is a standard. Okay, so anytime that we are looking at uh, condemning someone, that is a final judgment. That's it. If we look at a gauge, it's kind of like measuring things. You're judging whether this is straight or not. Uh, another term that relates to this, and this is in First Corinthians chapter six, is a standard. Paul says, do you not know that uh, Christians will judge the world? 
we are to be the standard according to living according to God's word for the world. Now, in all of those circumstances, we're supposed to do a couple of those things, but God only does one of those things. Our issue is we try to pronounce final judgment on someone, but I'm supposed to gauge, I'm supposed to measure, I'm supposed to discern all day long. I do not make a final judgment on someone, but here's the problem. When I'm calling out truth or I'm calling out discernment, I haven't given a final punishment on anybody. I'm supposed to do that Uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Hebrew writer would tell us to spur on another towards love and good works. That spurring you on may mean I have to say, hey, man, you can't talk to your wife that way. Now, that's truth. Now, if if I were to capitulate to the world's standard of judgment, then he would come back and me. Man, hey, you can't judge me. And now nobody's going to do anything because I can't say anything to you. You can't say anything to me. But the issue is, let God's word be the standard. So if I come to you and say, hey, man, you can't do this or, hey, we're not supposed to do that as children of God, even though it hurts you. Even though you may not like that, I called it out. Is it true? Okay, I got I got to understand that. And if it is all right, the second part of that question will give Virgil some time too on this. But the second part of that question, which deals with the spirit in what something is said, Paul would say in Galatians chapter six, uh, if a brother's overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And what Paul is using in that word restore uh, is a term that refers to setting a bone. Okay, if a bone has been broken, a doctor has to set the bone. Now, it's already painful. It's already bad. And the doctor is doing the best he can to set it so that it'll heal right now. He's going to cause pain, but the aim is not to cause pain. The aim is for healing. So, again, as I'm speaking the truth in love, I know that if you're living a sinful life, if you're living a life of an alternate lifestyle or whatnot, what I say to you is not going to feel good. It's going to hurt you. But the spirit in which I'm saying this is one because I love you and I want you to see God's face in peace. So I'm going to give you this truth as carefully as I can, not to where I'm putting so much sugar on it that you don't get it but also with enough uh, truth in it and with enough assertion in this that, you know, man, I got to do something with this. The gospel demands a response. I got to do something with it. Virgil, before you chime in, Anthony made me think of a story that happened to me in real life, probably at a time when I was at my heaviest, maybe close to 400 pounds. I can remember a woman, uh, a nun, gets on a plane, Southwest Airlines flight, she's walking down the aisle, looks at me, she's in her nun's outfit, and she stops, when she, she was going further back, she stops, comes, sits down next to me and says, can I pray for you? You are really overweight and you need prayer. And, <laughs> and wow. I gotta say, I wasn't offended. because She's dressed in a nun's outfit, she came ever, but I wasn't offended, had the conversation with the woman, and we prayed. Oh, and wow. She, she moved on and went and sat somewhere where she'd be more comfortable, not next to me. <laughs> but she stopped and prayed. Yes, she did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it, 
Virgil, uh, your thoughts, because and then I got yeah. a follow up. No, Anthony was spot on with that. I, I would just I would encourage anyone who wants to pluck this particular text of scripture out of its context needs to pause for just a moment. This verse of scripture is is in in the broader context of a sermon that Jesus is given, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it starts actually in Matthew chapter five and spans all the way through Matthew chapter seven. Um, as we look at it, what he's dealing with is he, he begins, in fact, in chapter five, where where he tells the, the audience who's listening that if their righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, who are to be the, the, the most righteous individuals that, that, that were around, if their righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, they'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on as you continue to follow the, the, the line of thinking in that same sermon. He unpacks the fact that 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 the, the, the Pharisees are, are being hypocritical. You know, here they are, you know, making their faces look crazy when they're fasting. He said, don't do that. Divorcing wives and doing things that they shouldn't be uh, looking upon others with lust when they shouldn't. All of these things. That they're, and he's constantly saying this is hypocritical. What he's doing and all through chapter six. Go back and read it. He's saying this is hypocritical. This is hypocritical. This is hypocritical. So by the time he gets to chapter seven, he says, judge not lest you be judged for the same judgment you pronounce. You will be judging with the same measure. It will be measured to you. He's talking to those who have been doing all this crazy stuff and have 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 told everyone else that they're sinning while they're while they're constantly doing the same thing. What he's talking about is hypocritical judgment. We know that if we just stay in the same text in chapter seven and continue to read down in verse six, he says this. Do not give to the dogs what is holy and do not throw away your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, in order to know who the dogs are, in order to know who the pigs are, I've got to make a judgment about that. Right. You continue going down and look and he tells you by verse 16, be aware of the false prophets who come out in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, are grapes gathered with thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree bears bad fruit. Well, you've got to make a judgment to know who the false teachers are. You've got to make a judgment to know what good fruit is. You've got to make a judgment to know what bad fruit is. This is not a condemnation on judging. This is a condemnation on hypocritical judgment. That's what's happening in chapter seven. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you turn over to John chapter seven and verse 24, the text of scripture is going to encourage us to judge with righteous judgment. That's what the text is going to say. Yes. And so what, 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 Anthony, what Anthony was laying out there was God's word is our standard. That's the standard by which we make judgments. And so when we're talking about judging, this is not a blanket statement. I even, pe people who throw that text of scripture at me and say, you know, you're, you're being, you're, you're being judgmental. You're being, well, you've got to make a judgment in order to judge that I'm being judgmental. So stop being judgy, you judger, right? You, you, they've got to stop this. This, this. this kind of stuff is foolish. So, uh, and I know this is going to uh, irritate Virgil, but I'm going to say it anyway. So when I was doing some research this morning, I turned to my Living Commentary Bible from uh, Andrew Womack that T.J. Moe gave me. And <laughs> Andrew Womack argued that uh, God wants you to judge, but the judgment he doesn't want you to make is about people's motives because you cannot know the motives behind people's behavior. You can know like, man, what you just did was wrong, but you don't 
don't judge what their motives are because you don't know what could be motivating someone. And I, I, I found that he, he felt like that part of that, he agrees, part of the explanation agrees with everything you just said about the previous chapters. I, I was reading all that this morning, but part of it was also like, God doesn't want you to judge motives because that, that leads to you condemning a person and you just don't have enough information to know that. We don't have the opportunity or the right to make final judgment end of the, end of the story. Uh, but I, again, like Virgil was saying, 90% of the time that we hear people use that verse, they're basically trying to say, don't tell me how to make a correction. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell me to act right. Don't tell me to do, because what you're calling out is doing just that, which is discernment, which is right from wrong. Every person is supposed to do that. That's, uh, that, that's absolutely oh, spot on. Virgil has that nothing to say. Kind of... That's very rare. <laughs> Virgil, I, I you gonna, got nothing to add... say. That's very rare. <laughs> I was going to add that this may be the one time that Andrew Womack was right. But I will say this, too, in addition to that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is there is another wonderful commentary. We won't mention where it came from or who. But there's another. I know there's another. John MacArthur, hopefully. Go ahead. I know there's a wonderful commentary on your on your on your shelves that you could also take a look at from time to time. There is. It's in my office. I'm going to tell you this. Where, where T.J beats you to the punches, it's right on my laptop. It's oh. so easy. Thumbing through the books, is, and because one, I'm thumbing through Tony Evans' commentary Bible, and in that second, it, it's just, but Virgil, <laughs> I am going I'll to fix it. I'll, consult I'll, I'll John MacArthur. I'll, I'll, fix, I'll fix it for you, oh, brother. Per- I'll <laughs> oh, if I, can get it, if I can get it online, it's done. That'll be I done got, tonight. I got you covered. Uh, Oh, perfect. That'll be done tonight. Virgil, we're going to let you go since you're out of thoughts. Uh, and I'm going to talk with Anthony about uh, my new favorite movie of the last probably year or so, uh, for sure. Big George Foreman. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Virgil, thank you so much. Anthony and I will come back with a little, a little more, because Steve Kim and I have already talked about the George Foreman movie, but a little more uh, fearless at the movie. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, welcome back. Uh, Time for a a little bit more time with uh, Anthony Walker. I wanted to talk with Anthony about the uh, big George Foreman movie. Uh, We both saw it last week. I discussed it with Steve Kim. But there is a faith-based element of this movie that I wanted to talk with you about, Virgil. Uh, We both... Anthony. uh, (laughs) Anthony, I'm sorry. Uh, This is rare total agreement on a movie between Anthony and I. I think our approval scores are nearly identical if my memory serves me. 
and we can put it up. I think I gave the movie an 89. Uh, Ver, uh, <laughs> Virgil. Anthony gave it a 90. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite movies, and part of the reason I told you, Anthony, as soon as I saw it, I was like, holy cow, this movie gave Jesus his flowers. Yes. And yes. I, I, just, I just loved it. And so I, just from a, I don't feel like we get a lot of movies that really give it up in the way that this did. And, and you know, I told, I think I told Steve Kim this. I think I, think I said it on the show, just like, the, not just George's faith walk and all that, but just a movie that just as a believer, there wasn't a moment where I was uncomfortable. George Foreman's first wife, the actress that played her, is in contention for one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in my life. And I was appreciative of the fact they did, it's an unknown actress relatively, they didn't make her get naked. There was no gratuitous sex scenes. I got to enjoy her beauty without it becoming perverse. And it's just like Hollywood, particularly when they get a young actress, they strip them down and put them in a nude scene. And next thing you know, like, I got to really sit through this sex scene. Yeah. Doesn't move. This movie was just so on point and, and so consistent with my values and the values I want to see in a movie. I, I just, I thought it was awesome. It was a really good movie. Uh, the, the really big thing that I got from this movie was the first half of it, most of his life, it showed me and showed the world what you could be like without God. And I say that because he was very successful. He was able to fuel his boxing career from anger and insecurity. And it got him a lot of money, got him a lot of you know, extramarital stuff. Satan which has rewards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he got all of that, yeah. but he was empty inside. And so that's where it's like you can have all of that. And I mean, Scripture even refers to that. You can, you know, have the whole world and lose your soul. But once he got Jesus, everything changed. The Scripture refers to that. You know, we are uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Once he got that, Everything shifted and he's able on the second half of his life still have success financially, which not always the biggest thing, but still has success, still become the heavyweight champ of the world, still do those things. Still have a beautiful wife. Still have a beautiful wife. I think they've been together almost 40 years, if not more. So like all of that turned out well, but the, the pivotal point of his life transformation was Christ and the movie highlights that. I loved it. Here's a tweak I would have made. I'm always a tweaker. Yeah. And I don't know if it, it may not be true. So maybe my tweak would have been inauthentic. But I've always said, and I've written previously about, because I've, I've written, and this is years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I've written about the power of faith and how even faith you may disagree with or have uh, doctrinal disagreements with, it can power a man to a greater level of performance than a man without faith. And so I've always argued Muhammad Ali won that fight because he was driven by this religious faith and this belief that what he was doing was connected to a higher calling. And 
George Foreman did not enter the ring with that kind of faith or belief, mm -hmm. and that's why Ali was able to endure all those shots through seven, eight rounds that had overwhelmed everybody else. And so I would have, and they did show, indicated, and it's true, Ali and George Foreman had a relationship after that went all the way through the end of Ali's life. Mm -hmm. I think, speculate, that part of what happened to George Foreman is he figured out like, this man is connected to a calling that allowed him to survive me and a better fighter. Because I think if they had fought again, I think George Foreman would have oh, beat yes. Ali. Easily. Yes. And so he not to have success as a boxer, George Foreman, I think Ali helped George Foreman realize I need a faith-based connection. And because his mama was always there since childhood saying, dude, be connected to this, be connected to this. Mm -hmm. He finally turned to Jesus and, and came back and accomplished something, winning a heavyweight championship at 45, that's unimaginable, and it's because of his faith. Right. Well, see, the whole thing about what that did for him, which is what, again, I say it was transformational. You know, it everything else changed. Fighting even changed for him. Before, he's fighting because of anger and insecurity. Like, that was what fueled his fight. Yes, he was... Very powerful, no doubt, but that's what fueled his fight. Now, and even in interviews later on, I've heard him say this in interviews later on, he said every punch he threw after his encounter with God, not one of them was thrown in anger. Like he was literally just looking at it as a sport. I'm just, I'm trying to get, get better at this sport, but even that was so that I continue to magnify God and give him glory. That changes, that changes boxing now, that changes everything, which is what God is supposed to do with us. When he is the center point of our life, everything changes. Our job now, we no longer go to work regularly. I go to work as a disciple maker. I just happen to work at this place. Like this is, all of this is different because of what God, I like that. Now you said your tweak, my tweak may be a little bit different I just would have wanted to know a little more the transition from being a world famous successful boxer into ministry. They showed a tease of it uh, and they showed more of the negative side of people, you know, making fun. Oh, you got to get up back in the ring and all that. But one of the things that we do as ministers, I'm constantly pushing people away from me, the person and putting their faith in God. That's what Paul says. It's not about me. It's about God. As a celebrity, that's why they're coming to see you. Like they're coming to say, oh man, that's George Foreman's church. I got to go to his church. And I, I would want to know how did he navigate that to get them not so attracted to George and more attracted to Christ because he were, was at the time world famous star. But it, yeah. It's funny you bring that up because driving into the studio today, I was thinking about we're having our first uh, roll call Zoom call today awesome. meeting. And, and one of the thoughts I had, because it's one of the things that, uh, and I'll take your counsel and advice on my strategy here. Uh, I don't, I was literally thinking like, man, I get on this Zoom call, we got a short amount of time, I don't know how many people are gonna be there. What I don't like is when people 
waste time. Jason, I just want to thank you for doing X, Y, and Z. And mm -hmm. Jason, it's so great, blah, blah, blah. And so I literally had it made up on my mind. I was like, I'm going to tell people off top, don't thank me. Thank God. None of this is about me. Uh, you know, so save all that small talk and any of your thoughts about thanking me. Don't do it and, and focus, you know, focus on it. I was going to direct everybody, like, don't get, I'm nothing. We got to remember who this is about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I, I would have loved to see it because George Foreman has such a big persona, mm -hmm. so famous that I wonder if it did get in the way or did how he navigated his celebrity get in the way right. of Jesus. Right, right. And, and so what, what advice would, if he, let's say George Foreman was uh, whatever, I think he stopped boxing at 28 maybe the first time, or I can't remember. Yeah, he went 10 years. 20, he, 28 comes to you and says, hey, I'm a famous guy, I'm gonna be a minister. What <laughs> advice would you give him? As the famous guy? Yes. What you just said about kind of deflecting, praise God, and, 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 and more of the, you know, yeah, that, that part of my life, which he did in the movie, that part of my life, you know, that was a different career. There are going to be some of the natural inclination of people wanting to see. But at the same time, for him on a spiritual level, I need to divert that to God because that can become intoxicating to him. People, we love to put people on pedestals. And sometimes when you're on that pedestal, it's like, yeah, OK, yeah, you're right. You know, and he could have used that to market. But but yeah, deflecting it giving glory to God, giving glory to God, spending more time with his family and, and not in the arena uh, would be another piece. Because, again, that grounds you to the world. He's big George Foreman or he's heavyweight champ. But to his kids, he's dad to his wife. Hey, take out the trash like he's just <laughs> he's just George. Right. So that kind of thing would keep him grounded and humble and personally deflecting it. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, we'll cue up some harmony, and we'll see you tomorrow. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How did we end up so divided? Stop hiding in sand We used to be a nation, one united Now we're headed for downfall God let your light shine down What we need more than anything